This is the Oanda Podcast. Brought to you by Jazz FM's Business Breakfast. This is the Oanda Market Insights Podcast. Each week we review and preview all the big business and market stories with Oanda Senior Market Analyst Craig Earlham in London. Good afternoon, Craig. Good afternoon. Fairly busy week. Uh, let's start with a few warnings from some respected sources about the future of the global economy. The International Monetary Fund has said that debt could reach unmanageable levels, forecasting the deepest recession since the Great Depression. And uh, do you remember somebody called Mervyn King? He used to be the Bank of England governor. Yeah, I thought you uh, may have remembered him. Yeah, he's also <laughs> come up with a warning. He says we're facing a coronavirus debt time bomb as countries borrow trillions of pounds to fight the pandemic. Now, um, I think most people sat up and listened to the IMF. What about Mervyn King? What they're saying isn't incorrect. Uh, the question we've got, we have to ask ourselves is what was the alternative? The, the coronavirus crisis hit at a very bad time. It, it always hits at a bad time. But, I mean, we're, we're, we're only a decade after the global financial crisis, which sent debt levels spiralling out of control. And we were only just starting to see uh, signs that we were going to be moving in a more, that we were moving towards something more promising and towards more sustainable levels of debt. And then the coronavirus crisis hits. And as I say, then the question becomes, what was the alternative? Aside from effectively leaving the economies open, accepting the shortfall and accepting the fact that people were going to die um the, the there was no alternative because by not in, by not in, interfering by not doing what they did uh, and by not supporting businesses and uh, people through this period we would now be heading for a recession we'd be heading for a depression so governments have had to take this move and yes that does mean that we've created a problem for another day but we the the sometimes you're backed into a corner and you're forced to make decisions which you would prefer not to have to make. The question is how they're going to manage these high debt burdens going forward. Firstly, I think we have to remember that um, some countries have had high debt burdens for a long time and done just fine, whether you're talking about Japan, uh, Italy. Yes, you could say that there has been instability in Italy economically uh, and in their markets, but then they still had debt to GDP at 140%. So many of these countries who are going to go through this coronavirus crisis are not going to get anywhere near that. So while I understand what these these uh, bodies are saying, what Mervyn Mervin King is saying, I think we, also, we do have to accept that this was just a very undesirable situation. Policymakers had very little time to act. And it's hard to disagree with what they did on the support side of things. Criticise them all you want for their their approach to the crisis, for how long it takes them to lock down, for how quickly they're easing lockdown restrictions, etc., etc. But I don't think many people disagree. As we've said before on this podcast, Rishi Sunak is coming out of this with a very good reputation uh, for how he's responded. There was no other option. They, they had, If they were going to lock down the economy, they had to support businesses and people otherwise things would get far 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 worse and um it will be interesting to see how things respond maybe this is just a sign that central banks are going to have to be very easy with their monetary policy for a more prolonged period in order to ensure that there's plenty of cash flow around the system to enable interest rates to remain low to give governments time that's not an ideal situation but 
it, it may just be something that we have to accept. These are exceptional circumstances. We've had two exceptional circumstances in the in the span of 12 or 13 years. That's not very common. It's extremely unusual, and we just have to hope that we don't hit another one in the foreseeable future. I mean, when I say foreseeable, I mean many, many, many years. Indeed, it's not even clear that these were criticisms from the IMF or Sir Mervyn King. I mean, they're in a sense, they're stating the very obvious we are facing a big problem. We're certainly going to have recessions across the world. And I think it was just one of those things that they decided to come out with and say, but it isn't really anything new, is it? It's not anything new. And as you say, it probably, it's, not, it's not that it's a criticism, but they do have to warn about potential risks. Uh, and this is obviously a severe risk. But then how severe a risk it is, is, is another question altogether. We talk a lot about, or these bodies talk a lot about sustainable and unsustainable levels of debt. But as I say, a country like Japan has managed to have very, very unsustainable levels of, de- of debt for a sustained period of time. That doesn't make any sense, obviously, but like that, they have managed to do so. So it just begs the question of, uh, of are these levels of debt unsustainable in themselves? Is this an absolute thing or... Are they unsustainable when you've generated these levels of debt through the kinds of borrowing which don't get investors on board, which mean that you the investors demand a higher interest of return if they want to buy your debt? So if all countries are going through this, the money has to go somewhere, and I think they're going to go to the normal places. And it may just be that countries have higher levels of debt and investors don't punish them for having higher levels of debt because it's for understandable reasons rather than exa- uh, extravagance and exuberance. And that will be something, again, we may just be sowing the seeds of a future crisis. That's always going to be the risk in, in a situation like this. But I think uh, what we're seeing right now is interest rates are remaining low. And it, like I say, it may just be a case that central banks are going to be extremely active in these markets for some time to come. Okay, there was some positive news, although, of course, it was expected with the government announcements about the tourism and hospitality uh, sectors, hospitality opening up on July the 4th, and they've reduced that rule, the two-metre rule, to what they call one metre plus of social distancing. And uh, tourism as well received a bit of a boost when there is much talk of opening up the skies, certainly in Europe. And this will come as a massive relief for those sectors. Is that reflected in some of the share prices? Yeah, I mean, this, this is huge. The gov- companies can't survive on support alone for prolonged periods of time, and the government can't afford to continue to supply it. So this, this is this is massive news. And again, it's going to be highly uh, debated. It's it, it's going to be controversial. No matter what decisions made, it's going to be controversial among people of different beliefs and views. Uh, this, the, the hospitality industry is going to be extremely relieved by the measures that have been undertaken. And I think many people are going to be extremely relieved as well. Obviously, that does come against the offset of more people are going to become infected by this and more people are going to die as a result. That is the sad and unfortunate consequences of doing this. But as we've mentioned every week, it feels on this podcast, these are the tough decisions that governments have to make. You can't purely make your decisions on reducing the risk factor to zero at some point there there has to be an economic argument 
and this is the argument that the government has now had to face when it's had to change its two meter rule to one meter plus many com many countries around the world have a one meter rule 1.5 meter rule if anything the uk was among the more stringent and uh, i can't help but feel that many people who have such a problem with the two meter rule reducing i mean how much do we all understand exactly why the two meter rule needs to be in place and the significance of it the the, the situation remains that companies need to do business again and the one meter plus will at least enable people to these companies to reopen get back to work preserve jobs preserve livelihoods stop a more severe recession the other thing that the imf said this week was that the uk will contract by 10.2 percent this year without a second wave of the coronavirus i mean that just shows how stark the situation is and why companies do need to get back to work and why people need to get back to work Unemployment is going to rise close to double figures. Many people do anticipate at this moment in time. The UK isn't going to contract at the fastest rate in Europe. It's going to be the fourth fastest rate in Europe behind Italy, Spain and France. Uh, and the, it's going to be the fifth uh, the fifth as, uh, overall. The US is going to contract by 8%. These are, these are really severe figures and they have very real con consequences. So I think the government had to act at some point. And like I say, the risk factor was never going to be reduced to zero. And it's just about determining where the correct threshold is going to be. Only history will judge how correct this, this move is. I think it's going to be important that people continue to adhere to two metres where possible. But by reducing it to this kind of one metre plus, it means that people can get back to business and people can make choices as well about how much they want social distance. No one's being forced to only stand one metre away from people. Um, but we will see how it goes. Like I say, only history will judge, and we should all hope that this goes very smoothly because the last thing we want to see is another spike in cases, and we're already seeing that in some countries. And that's, I think that's probably the big risk factor when it comes to what we're seeing now in the UK is that the US is seeing spikes in coronavirus cases, Texas, California, Florida, and many others are seeing spikes in coronavirus cases. Texas has had to effectively freeze the easing of restrictions because they're seeing such a spike in coronavirus cases. You're seeing some states saying they're almost entirely run out of, uh, of beds in, in, in the ICU. Already, this is feeling very similar uh, to what we had back in March. Um, I don't think we'll see full lockdown again, not yet anyway. I think there'll be more targeted measures, more um, uh, in, in, in used in, in this response. But it is worrying to see these numbers spike, and we saw a similar spike. We saw a little spike in Germany as well, but they hadn't handled the first uh, swathe of this crisis very, very well. So I imagine they'll do the same again. Beijing has claimed to uh, got their spread under control already, which is quite remarkable. And um, hopefully the UK will manage uh, any any second wave uh, and enable the economy to continue to function while uh, have, keeping this at manageable levels. But we have to remember that this is extremely hard for so many people. It's not just hard for businesses, it's hard for people as well. And I think many people are desperate to get back to their ordinary day-to-day -day lives or something that at least kind of resembles it. And without it, the economy and ultimately, therefore, people are going to suffer considerably. And those spikes that you mentioned in states like Texas um, and across the United States seem to have had a bit of an effect on the price of oil as well, uh, Craig, because there were fears that that might prompt policymakers to tighten restrictions. Uh, no new lockdowns as such at the moment, but uh, also the downgrading of the global growth forecast by the IMF, I think, must have hit oil as well. But they, they are wary of what's happening in the US at the moment. But the way Trump is going, 
he isn't going to introduce anything if he can help it. I know it won't be necessarily down to him, but he's got his uh, his mind on that election in November and he wants the economy in as good enough a shape as it possibly can be, although who knows at this stage with, what, less than six months to go. But yeah, that certainly hit the price of oil, didn't it? Well, six months ago when we were talking in the end of year podcast, we were saying why Trump was going to inevitably win the election in December was because the old adage does seem to ring true. It's the economy, stupid. Uh, And um, I think Trump's gambling on that. Trump is saying that there will be no more shutdowns, that the economy is not shutting down again because he knows full well if the economy shuts down again, the economy economy will suffer and that could really threaten his uh, election chances even more. Uh, And I think he views the he sees this as a gamble worth taking because i think he believes that he can deflect any coronavirus uh, uh physical health downs uh, uh, the risks associated with that i think he thinks he can deflect that towards china uh, and therefore uh, he thinks his best chance of winning the election is by keeping the economy open and he's probably right uh, unfortunately that, that 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 puts him in the best uh, in the best position but then the position he's in now is far inferior to where it was back in uh, back in December. He's trailing in a lot of the polls, and I think uh, I think if he wins this election, uh, it's going to be uh, it's going to be quite the win because to be facing an economy that's in the worst recession potentially in a hundred years, and a crisis as such as this to win an election in that environment would be really really quite uh really really quite remarkable like i said you said earlier the imf views that the global growth is going to slow uh more than expected they previously anticipated a contraction of three percent they now say 4.9 percent don't be surprised if that's revised lower again because i think we're all expecting economies to gradually reopen and i think there will be setbacks along the way as i say the question is how it's managed and i think everyone is hoping that we don't have to see further lockdowns again because i think people have had their fill as far as that's concerned and Trump also in the news because uh, there were some rumours that things weren't going very well in the US-China trade deal talks. But Trump's been pretty optimistic about that, very positive. Yeah, so it's not necessarily the talks per se, because obviously the phase one trade deal is done and the phase two, uh, I think, was always a stretch. I think they called this phase one because they didn't want to uh, acknowledge the fact that this comprehensive deal, this all-encompassing deal, which um, they had previously thought was possible uh is actually not so they called it a phase one because that leaves the door open to a, a potential second phase i think uh, what they what this effectively stemmed from was a, an interview with peter navarro i think on fox news who when asked whether um whether the trade deal was over so whether it had collapsed effectively because of uh the breakdown in the relationship between the two countries because of the china upholding its end of the bargain and because obviously we've seen that the U.S. administration very much blames China for the outbreak of this crisis and how they've handled it. Uh, he was asked whether it's over, and he said, yes, it's over. And um, he then, the markets really took a hit on that. Uh, it's amazing to think that the market's still getting hit by uh, by this U.S.-China trade talks, but clearly the prospect of talks breaking down, the trade deal collapsing, and new tariffs being imposed at this moment in time would be devastating. And... Uh, President Trump was very quick to come out and clarify these comments. Navarro himself claims that he'd been that these comments have been taken wildly out of context and were not true. But the problem is the seed's been planted now. I think many people are wondering whether there is any substance to this deal in the long term or whether 
the relationship is frayed beyond repair and maybe beyond the election if Trump does remain in office, whether it is just effectively going to be torn up and we're going to be back to uh, square one. We'll have to wait and see. I think there's going to be a lot of games played over the course of the next six to 12 months because let's face it, if any other governments uh, around the world would rather not deal with Trump for the next four years, he's probably in a bit of a vulnerable position right now and you wonder whether they may... um, utilize an opportunity like this to weaken him further trump this week threatened uh tariffs on the eu uh as well uh and this was in response to um subsidizing airbus i think and um he's threatened tariffs on a number of eu goods including the uk and the eu has uh, uh, uh at least appeared to suggest that it was that it will fight back and they could quite easily t- uh, target Trump in a very in very politically sensitive areas, and um, it's going to be interesting because Trump is not going to bow down. He's not going to pull out of these fights in order to preserve. Trump only knows one way of dealing with a crisis like this, and this is to go on the attack. And I think the next five months are going to be uh, well, pretty extraordinary. If I'm honest, we'll see how this goes, but I think this could be a quite extraordinary five months. And that's saying something when you consider the previous uh, four years right across the globe. Yeah, exactly. On, on so many levels. And uh, yes, Trump, coronavirus and all. Uh, before we let you go, uh, Craig, um, a quick word about next week. But firstly, I, I ought to, I know you're not personally responsible, but I've got to congratulate your team, Liverpool FC, on their first top flight title in 30 years. I'm surprised that you actually made this podcast because uh, it's only happened, what, less than 24 hours ago and uh, I'm sure you've had uh, the odd shandy to celebrate and you sound quite uh, quite normal, really, and you didn't even mention it in the opening, but uh, congratulations to you. To. It's been a long I, time coming, as they say. It has. I mean, I mean let's face it, I'm 33. <laughs> so the last yeah. time we won the title, I was too young to even remember it. So I, I have gone through my entire life of supporting this team uh, with, I wouldn't say very little in return. We've won a lot of different things, but this is this is extremely sweet. We've come close a lot of times. And yeah, I did enjoy it last night, but uh, thankfully my body didn't punish me too much today. And um, I, I think I'm going to spend a lot of time enjoying it over the course of the next eight weeks or so. Uh, and um, yeah, it, it's it's going to be an instant time, but yeah. It was, it, it, it was. Yeah, it's been it's been an extraordinary uh, season, and there was yes, obviously for a variety of reasons. For a variety of reasons, but I'm a, I'm an extremely relieved man now, uh, and I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna have a lovely evening weekend of watching many 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 Liverpool clips. <laughs> um, well, I, I'm mindful uh, of keeping you of keeping you from your first love. <laughs> uh, not your not your children, but your football team. Um, oh, my children, my fiance. But uh, <laughs> yeah. But uh, what about next week? Anything? Liverpool, Liverpool's been around longer, to be fair. <laughs> right, that's enough about the uh, football, Craig. <laughs> uh, next week, uh, <laughs> next week, there's a, a Liverpool game on Thursday. I'm yeah. joking. I mean, okay. there is Liverpool Man City, very big game. Um, so next week, uh, it's, it's really busy next week, actually. 
There's, there's a lot of economic data, all the PMIs, the usual stuff. We've got a lot of GDP figures from the UK, um, I think uh, Germany, Italy, France, um, and I think the US as well. Uh, we, we also have the uh, the Fed minutes due out, that's on uh, Wednesday. We've got the US jobs report, which I can't believe I'm mentioning fourth or fifth. But the US jobs report this next week on Thursday because of the bank holiday in the US on Friday. So there's a lot of US economic data being released on Thursday, and that includes the jobs report, which is extremely unusual obviously jobless claims as well uh from a central bank perspective uh there's not an enormous amount of activity um we've got the swedish riksbank um which has its uh, monetary policy decision and i think the rba um but yeah like i say just a lot of economic data uh, to keep an eye out for next week which i think will be really quite interesting we've got a testimony as well from jay powell the fed chair on tuesday so i don't think we're going to be short of talking points next uh, next week but I would love it if we could uh, re re keep a regular slot for the football updates because that's been a lovely addition from my perspective to this week's podcast. I'm afraid I'm afraid that's your lot, really, for the season. That's all we're going to. Oh, that's a shame. It's all we're going to do as far as the football is concerned. I'm, I'm contractually obliged to only talk about business and markets. Sorry. Well, maybe we can put a poll out there and see if people are interested <laughs> or low. I think a lot of our audience are Americans, so I'm yeah. not sure if football's quite as big over there as it is here or soccer. Uh, I uh, doubt it very much. Yourself. Enjoy your weekend and enjoy your celebrations and we'll speak to you again same time next week. Thank you. Have a great weekend, everyone. From the team behind Jazz FM's Business Breakfast, a daily early morning 30-minute briefing for the day ahead. On air from 6am. Listen to Jazz FM on DAB, online or just ask Alexa.